of not all the principles we've dealt with so far, but the most recent principle up until our study on the cross. We we discussed in principle number eight, disagreements about eating and drinking are not important in the kingdom of God. And yet, sadly, it is these very kinds of things that divide churches, that divide people, that divide families, that divide ministries. It's, it's over these conscious <coughs> issues, these issues where God says we can disagree. That's, those are the things that we have made fundamental issues. Those are the things we have made separation issues. Yesterday as I was plowing my garden, I was plowing through this message in my head. And I, I kind of, you know, sometimes, sometimes, well, you know this, I, I think differently. Uh, sometimes I don't think, but when, sometimes I think differently. And I was, I was just kind of working my way through some of the things that we have separated over. And, and, and uh, you know, and I'm not necessarily talking about Maranatha, I'm just talking about in general. And then I got to thinking, all right, now, one of these days when persecution really does come the way it looks like it is going to come, and according to what the Scripture says, it is going to come, when persecution comes, who do I want, to, I, who do I want in my cell with me? Who, and, and, and then I thought, all right, if I could pick two men that I would want to have in my jail cell with me, I know the two I would choose. I'm not going to tell you. But I'm afraid they wouldn't want to be in my jail cell because they couldn't get along with each other. Not that they're going to have a choice at that point. But my, my point is, when we get down to issues that are going to put us in prison, are we going to be arguing over whether or not we eat meat? And I'm speaking spiritually there, right? Are we going to be arguing over conscience issues or are we going to be finally focused on keeping the main thing the main thing. Is it going to finally come to pass that the gospel grips us to the point that we get along? Now, please understand, there are areas where we cannot fellowship with those who are disobedient to the gospel, those who are damaging the gospel. I'm not just... I'm not just saying we embrace anyone and anything that calls itself godly or Christian. But I am saying that much of what we divide over today, God says just isn't important in the kingdom of God. And I realize by saying that I could be losing friends and have. We want to move on though and look at our next principle. And, and it does hinge on principle number eight. When we, when we look at principle number nine, it does hinge on principle number eight. That idea of keeping the main thing the main thing. We, we move on to this now. You have freedom. And we all have, we all have the item. We all have freedoms in some areas where other people don't. We have a stronger conscience or less sensitive conscience. If you have freedom, don't flaunt it. 
If you have, if you're strict or, or more sensitive, don't expect others to be strict like you. Now, now, where is this in our text? Look at chapter 14, verse number 22. Hast thou faith? Now, you remember when we're in chapter 14 of the book of Romans, we're not talking about saving faith here. We're talking about issues of conscience. In other words, what Paul is saying if you have the faith that gives you freedom of conscience in eating meat or drinking wine or not celebrating the holy days, all right? If, if you have the freedom to do those things, and, and, and I'm speaking specifically in the context of Romans 14, if you have the freedom of conscience based on faith, what does he say? Have it to yourself before God. Now, let me tell you what this verse is not saying because I've actually had people say to me, well, Romans 14, verse number 22 says, keep your faith to yourself. That's not what it's saying. This is not saving faith. And so God is not, or Paul is not instructing the Romans, you know what, never share your faith with anybody. Keep it to yourself. That's not what this verse is saying. This verse is saying, if you have freedom, that's between you and God. And I think we can also say it on the opposite end of the spectrum. If you have a sensitive conscience, keep it between you and God. That doesn't mean you can't ever discuss it. That doesn't mean you can't ever talk about it with somebody else. It doesn't mean you can't ever try to get people to see how you think or, or talk about why you think the way you do or have the conscience standard that you have. But it does mean it's between you and God primarily, not between you and someone else. Or don't let it come between you and someone else. So let's pray and then we'll discuss this principle. Father, make, make it clear today. Make our understanding clear of this text. Guide our understanding. Open our hearts. Help us to be willing to admit truth. And admit when we're not obeying the truth. Help me to preach as an oracle of God, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, the theme that we have been dealing with for well over a year now is the theme of unity. And I think one of the reasons that this simple little principle, principle number nine, is so vitally important is because violating this principle, not that the others aren't, again, you understand, but violating this principle will definitely put us on a path of disunity. Disobeying this simple little principle of keeping your conscience issues between you and God primarily Violating that principle is a way to divide, will lead to disunity. Now, let's talk about how it applies practically. Don't parade your freedom. Don't flaunt or show it off in such a way that you hurt the conscience of someone else. Because remember, one of the things that we've made clear through our study of the conscience 
is it is sinful for anyone to try to get anyone else to violate their conscience. It is sinful for anyone to violate their conscience, all right? And it's sinful to get someone to try to do that or try to get someone to do that. So if you have freedom, if you have a stronger conscience in whatever way or in whatever area you have a stronger conscience, you should not parade it or flaunt it in such a way that those who are more sensitive are made to feel unimportant, less spiritual, not cool, because quite honestly, sometimes people who have stronger consciences flaunt their freedoms for the purpose of making others look bad or feel bad about their spiritual life. We should never cause with our freedoms people to think in a such a way or act in such a way that they actually violate their conscience or cause them to sin. This can become so serious of an issue that when someone with a stronger conscience flaunts or parades their freedom, someone with a more sensitive conscience may actually get so discouraged by that that they abandon the faith. And let me just make one, not necessarily passing comment, but not necessarily an unimportant comment, but I won't spend much time here. Let me say this. For those of us who've been in the faith a longer time than some others, they're new Christians and, and young Christians, new Christians, We've been around the block a time or two, all right? We ought to be extremely careful. We ought to be extremely careful to nurture faith, not damning someone's faith. And we want to make sure that their faith is in the right place. Not in us, but in Christ. I might not be explaining this as clearly as I would like to, but let me, let me offer just maybe a, a, an illustration to help. I read two articles this week, and honestly, when I read these two articles, I was just so grieved. <clears throat> One article is about a year old, and I read it at the time, <clears throat> and I reread it this week just to refresh my memory, and then I read a follow-up about a pastor at a church in Anderson, South Carolina. A year or so ago, this pastor was let go from his church. He, the article, it was a local newspaper, said fired. He was fired from his position because of his excessive use of alcohol. His excessive use of alcohol. You say, okay, I didn't know preachers drank. Listen, 
there are numbers of men and ministries today who want to tell us that we all have the freedom to drink alcohol as a beverage. I know the Bible forbids drunkenness. So my question is simply this. If the Bible, how do you get drunk? You have to drink to get drunk. So if you want to really protect yourself, abstain. But there are those who say, you know, since the Bible never says it's wrong to take a drink, or it's not, the Bible never says it's wrong to drink wine, and I would debate them on that. You say, I can, I can use wine as a beverage, or I can use alcohol as a beverage. And, and there is a particular denomination right now, this second article I told you about, they are calling it a plague among young preachers who are drunks. And these are some of the very same people who like to parade or flaunt their freedom, quote unquote, to drink. But look where it took them. We don't have freedom to do anything the Bible forbids. And we better be careful in our flaunting and parading because it may just be that all we're doing is showing our arrogance. So if you have freedom of conscience, where you have freedom of conscience, don't parade it. Don't encourage others to violate their conscience by your freedom. Don't lead them into outright rebellion because they, looking to you, think they're less spiritual and in order to be more spiritual, I have to do what you allow. Just be very careful that your freedoms don't turn some from Christ. But if you have a more sensitive conscience, here, here is, I think, how the principle applies to us. Don't police others' consciences. Don't be the conscience police. We have a responsibility not to pressure others to take on our own strict standards. We have a biblical responsibility to help others established some principles, some standards. But we have no right to impose our standards on others, especially making them think that in order to be a good Christian, they have to have your standards. Not... Again, I'm using, I'm using illustrations here and I'm not trying, and, and sometimes when I use illustrations, I, I kind of I cringe because I don't want people who are sensitive about these things to feel bad and I don't want people who are strong about these things to go, what's the deal? You know what I'm saying? When I met my wife um, and I went to her house for the first time, 
I honestly was shocked that they didn't play cards. They didn't. They, you know, they, I mean, they, they played card games, but they didn't use what most of us are familiar with as far as hearts and clubs and spades and, and so on. And, and they had very good reasons for not doing that. There had been gambling in the past and they wanted to be good examples. And, and so they tried to be real sensitive because they had friends who would come over, family who would come. And they, <coughs> they, <coughs> they were trying to honor Christ. So mom found some cards that had little baseballs that looked like hearts and, and diamonds, you know. So that made it all right, I guess. I I had never heard anything like that in my life. I grew up in a family we played blackjack, and I'm talking when I was ten years old. Now I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying we come from different places, we come from different backgrounds. We're sensitive, we're strong about different things. But her family never said, you know what, we're more spiritual than you than you because we don't play with real playing cards than you do. Now that may seem like a trite illustration, but you use, you fill in the blank with whatever you want to fill in the blank with there as far as conscience issues are concerned. How about mowing your lawn on Sunday? Is that, can, is that really wrong? Well, keep it between you and God if you think it is or if you don't think it is. When I... The college I went to, you weren't allowed. We were not allowed. We were not allowed to go shopping on Sundays. Do you ever go shopping on Sunday? I think they changed that rule now, but that doesn't mean God's wrong or changed. You see what I'm saying? We don't have a right to impose our own conscience issues, our own standards on others, especially when it comes to equating our standards with godliness. My wife tells, and I hope she doesn't mind me using this illustration, I didn't get permission. Now she's really nervous. My wife tells of growing up, she grew up in a very <clears throat> strict church, a very standard oriented church, as far as dress and music and things that, and again, those aren't necessarily bad things, okay? She tells the story of attending a certain camp in North Carolina. Um, called the Wilds. And she had been taught all her life that spiritual people, spiritual ladies, wore certain kinds of clothes or did not wear certain kinds of clothes. And her counselor wore the kinds of clothes that unspiritual people wore. But she remembered that her counselor was one of the godliest people she'd ever met. And it created a conscience crisis 
And you know what? I think those are good things. Conscience crisis. Because when we face a conscience crisis, we are forced to determine where our standards really come from. Are they coming from the Bible? Are they coming from biblical principle? Are they even just necessary? Or, or are they coming from our own personal application of a Bible principle, but it's not really the Word of God, it's just our application? When I was in school, when I was in college, I had a, a, a position of an authority in, in, in the dorm. I was a hall leader, dorm leader. Um, I don't even know what they call them anymore, if they even have them. But one of the things that, that my responsibility entailed was that I had to go around everybody's rooms on my hallway. I had to go to everybody's rooms in the morning to make sure that they cleaned their room and that they'd done their jobs. And, 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 and that's a good thing. You, you teach your kids to clean their room. I hope you do. All right? And, and so it was good for us to do those kinds of things. I was also, I also had the responsibility, what we call hair check. And at hair check, I had to make sure that the guy, the length of the guy's hair could come two finger lengths like this. It didn't come down two finger lengths above their eyebrows. And it was tapered in the back and that it was a certain, cut a certain way over the ears. Now let me ask you a question. Does God define Christian haircut? No. That was just a standard the school had. That doesn't mean it's the only way to be godly. Now please don't get nervous with what I'm about to say. Our church has established, and rightly so, certain standards when it comes to our music. I believe music is a reflection, should reflect the holiness of God, should reflect the character of God. I believe the kinds of hymns that we sing in our services ought to point people to Christ, point people to the gospel, point people to God. We have established that standard for our church. That does not mean that a church that does not have our standard is not loving God and serving God too. If we were to, if we were to have some Christians from Africa come into our service, they would feel very uncomfortable with our music. You know why? Because they would want to clap. They would want to keep time. They might even want to swing a little. Okay, but you know what? They love God. 
and they're serving him and many of them are doing more for God than we'll ever imagine. Please don't get upset with me about this. The fact that some of us right now, and I hope we're not, but it may be that some of us right now are thinking, are thinking in terms of our own justifications for treating people or saying things about people or reacting to people based upon our own standards and, and even some of the things that I've said, you, you, you're, you're really having a hard time imagining how someone could be godly who doesn't wear certain things or, or doesn't have the same kind of music standard you have or, or plays cards or doesn't play cards and, and, and you're having a hard time in your heart and in your head imagining how people can, who are godly can do things or not do certain things. And folks, that is the very thing I want to warn us about. It's the path to disunity. When we flaunt our freedom or when we parade or when we police standards and expect others to live by our principles, whether they're strong or whether we're sensitive, when we expect people to live like us, then we are doing exactly what the Pharisees did when Jesus warned that they are treating the opinions of men as the doctrine of God. Before we close this morning, some of you may be asking this question, and it's a good question. Well, should I not even talk to people about my conscience issues? Should I, should I not even discuss it? No, that's not what we're saying either. For those who are stronger in some areas than others, you know what? You might be able to help someone who has a more sensitive conscience see that they can have freedom, more freedom than they have right now. I've told you that the, these lessons, I, I, was, I was helped greatly in putting together these lessons by two books, one on the conscience, one on, one's a commentary a can, uh, written for the Cambodian people. Actually, I uh, translated it into English for good reason uh, by J.D. Crowley. <coughs> Brother Crowley tells the story that when he went to the mission field, he actually saw, they, they started work in a village, and, and they saw a number of the people in that village come to Christ, including the village leaders. And so when they started coming into the church services, one of the things that Brother Crowley said that they as a church discussed was what instruments to use in their services. Now, I, I don't remember the particular instrument, but there was a particular instrument that that village equated with demonic worship. Because that's how that particular instrument was used. And, 
And although Brother Crowley had never made that connection himself, when they shared that with him, they decided as a church that they would not use that particular instrument in their services. But Brother Crowley said, I started just to every once in a while explain and teach that a music instrument is a music instrument. It is not right or wrong in and of itself. And so when he would have opportunity to have discussions with people about music or those kind of he they might talk about the instruments and he might would he might say, now, now uh, you know, this is what you've decided, but I just want you to know it's just an instrument. Until finally the village leaders came, the church leaders at that point came and said, I think we're ready to put this in, in into our church music now. And so they started using that instrument that at one time they felt would be wrong to use, now they now they do. So it's okay to discuss because if you're strong in one area, you might help someone see that they can be strong too. Now never encourage them to violate their conscience, be be extremely patient. Be extremely careful that you nurture their faith, not damage their faith. If you're more sensitive in an area and you think someone who is strong in an area needs to be more careful, you know what? If you're filled with the Spirit, then do what Galatians chapter one and chapter six and verse number one says. If you see a brother overtaken in a fall, and you think they are, I wish someone would have done that for that pastor in Anderson, South Carolina. If you see a brother overtaken in a fault, you who are filled with the Spirit, you who are spirits, that's what that word means, filled with the Spirit, restore. You do that by taking on their burden and helping them to share, bear their own burden, responsibility. So I'm not saying we never discuss them. I'm not saying... It's some, it's, it, we, we cut people off. Folks, keep the main thing the main thing. That's where unity comes. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body, one God, one Lord Jesus, as Paul says to the church at Ephesus. So are we on the path to disunity? Because either we're parading our freedom or we're policing others based upon our own conscience. Let's bow for a prayer, please. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.